This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Thanks for joining me today. While you're here, please make sure to like and subscribe, hit the red button. And if you're listening to this on podcast, please make sure to leave a review as this allows my content to get in front of more people. And thank you for that. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm board certified in holistic nutrition. And I have a private practice where we focus on getting to root cause healing, and we often use the Carnivore Cures meat only elimination diet. Today, I'm so excited. I have with me Matt Boudreaux. He is all things education and educating our future generations. Matt Boudreaux is the founder of Acton Academy Placer Schools. He's the co founder at Apogee Strong Mentorship Program for young boys becoming men. And he helps driven entrepreneurs open student led campuses for real education and freedom. Matt is a former public school educator, administrator, and professor at Stanford University. He's also the host of the Essential 11 podcast and a world renowned keynote speaker with clients ranging from Lockheed Martin, the United States. Air Force, Caterpillar, Honeywell, and many, many other Fortune 500 companies. He's made it his life mission to find alternative and powerful education opportunities for our young men and women so that they can live a life that reaches their full potential. Even if you don't have kids that are in school currently, I highly recommend listening to this whole theme because it even talks about how we trust authority and how we trust the medical system and conventional nutrition as to why that would be healthy for us. And then in our own journeys, we find that that may not be the truth. We talk a lot about why we even think this way and why we trust authority so much and how to kind of get out of that narrative. He provides a lot of supports as to how to start being more autonomous and become critical thinkers. It's an amazing conversation. I share a lot more about my family and the way we educate and even our value systems with the way that we are raising our boys. I know I get a lot of questions about homeschooling and how to 
raise our kids in a different education system. This conversation should cover a lot of that discussion. Let's get right into the interview. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for joining me today. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I know that education and empowerment and a lot of the things that we're going to discuss today are so, so important, not only for our children, but for even us as we function in this society. So for the people that don't know you, if you can share who you are. Yeah, honor is mine. And that's all my favorite stuff to talk about. So um, very much appreciate you having me. So, you know, I'll give the the quick kind of 30,000 foot overview is uh, I've been in the education game for a couple of decades. Uh, and I say game very, very intentionally. Uh, I say that absolutely on purpose. Um, but, you know, I've kind of seen it from every level. I've been a public school teacher and a public school administrator. I've been a private school teacher. I've been a private school administrator. I was at Stanford for quite a while. Uh, and I've also had the opportunity to work with Fortune 500s around the world uh, and have given over 500 keynotes and, and done you know consultations with them, learning about what they wish they had from young people that are coming in to work for them. So all of that brought context to why I left all of it to start schools of my own for my own kids. You know, and so I've, uh, I was fortunate enough to be the founder of three different Acton Academy locations um, that are still thriving today. And I get uh, the distinct honor of helping entrepreneurs that want to open more Actons to understand what that process looks like and, and how to do it well. So I get to spend my time uh, helping them and helping current owners in that Acton network. Uh, I get to help families that are home educating because there's a lot of them that are going, hey, I would love an Acton Academy. I don't have one near me, or maybe I can't afford it, or we don't have the resources to start one. So we're going to home educate. How do we do that? Uh, so I got a whole tribe that I run uh, with that. And then I've got young men that I mentor as well. So everything I do is geared towards how do I help young people be stronger young people? How do I help them unlock their genius? And that's what my entire life is devoted to. And it's the best. I love that. And we'll yeah. dig more into this specific. Sure. ways that you do that. But let's take it a step back. And, you know, you've been part of the public school, private school models. And if you can share a little bit of the history of how public school even came to be, you know, what are some of the weaknesses with that model and why you decided to leave? Yeah. And so I always, I always like to preface these conversations with a couple of things. One, um, I don't differentiate necessarily between public school and even most private schools. Right. Right? I call them both conveyor belt schools. If they are that system that you and I kind of grew up going to, right? You got a specific grade, you do specific subjects, you know, there's a checklist and you check off those checklists and then, you know, you've graduated, whatever that's supposed to mean. Right. So um, I don't differentiate between those. I differentiate between school and education, which I know we'll, uh, which I know we'll talk about. So Public schooling or conveyor belt schooling is a system that was brought to us by Horace Mann. It was essentially a Prussian system that was designed for uh, the industrial era. And so it was designed to make good, obedient workers that could follow directions and they could do so um, without necessarily questioning authority. And that's a very dumbed down version of how that all happened. I always recommend people go read um, anything by John Taylor Gatto. If your readers have never read him, G-A-T-T-O, John does a much more eloquent job than I ever could in describing the, the historical aspect of it. But the sentiment is exactly that, right? It became this compulsory kind of mechanism of the state to profit from the industrial revolution. So when we're looking at that and looking at the intent you can see that actually that entire system is built exactly for that. Well, that just happens to be the antithesis of how humans actually learn. Therein lies the problem. 
right? It's that system. So again, if you're a, a public school or a private school teacher in a conveyor belt school that's listening to this, I support you. I support you. I want to help you. I believe in you. I know why you're doing what you're doing. You love young people. You want to pour into them. You're there for the right reasons. I support you. If you're an administrator in those systems, I support you. I do not support the system because it is the antithesis of how humans actually learn. Learning by doing. Learning through collaboration. Learning through creating learning through trial and error, learning through experiences, learning through responsibility. Those are the, the the areas that I believe humans have always learned. Whether you want to say we're designed that way or whether we evolve that way, I don't care. That's how we interact with the world around us. And school disconnects us from that. And that's the biggest issue that I have. What do you think the difference is between education and schooling? And then if you can give us some examples of you know, what is it about the school specifically that is different than, I guess, the way that we should be being taught? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good question. Learn. So, you know, schooling is a system, right? It's a system that says, do this and you get this. The input is this, the output is this. The problem is the input and the outputs, what they are proposed don't, don't match. But it's schooling is a system specifically designed to get uh, this product of the, of the population. Education what it really means, it's it's a root word, and I'll butcher it because it's a Greek word, but it means to draw out. Okay. And it means to draw out what is uniquely inside each individual. Well, the schooling system says that the individual doesn't matter. Everybody's doing same thing, same time. There's a very narrow prescription of what it means to be quote-unquote educated, and it's based on subjects. And so, the sneaky thing is people go, oh, you're, you probably don't you know, like these schools because of the indoctrination, right? Well, okay, we can talk about the indoctrination. My bigger issue are the habits that are developed over these 12 years, 16 years, whatever that looks like. Think about the habits. You are taught early on failure is a bad word. Failure is something to be avoided at all costs. You are taught very early on, stand in your straight line, sit, raise your hand to ask permission if you can go to the bathroom. Somebody may tell you no, even if you're 18, that doesn't matter if you're in their system, right? You bow to authority no matter what, whoever claims it. You accept your class affiliation. You are being programmed You're, you're to be apathetic. We will tell you what your life story is, and we will write that for you and maybe make you a bystander. You're going to be emotionally dependent upon us. You're going to be um, intellectually dependent upon us. You're only going to associate with people of your same date of manufacture. Um, you know, none of these things transfer into the real world. And when people go, well, of but, but, but of course it does. Or how are you? I, I like to, to phrase it. Like, well, if I asked you questions that young people in these conveyor belt schools were asked, it would be weird to you. If I asked you, Judy, what grade are you in? You'd be like, what? What are you talking about? That doesn't make sense. Judy, what what grade level do you read at? Uh, what level are you at, Judy, in, in finances? Right. Are you at, right? And and you, I'm 42. You look like you're younger than I am. So I should probably be... I, I should know a whole lot more than you, right? Or be more, you know, I should make more. What What are the subjects that matter? Am I ahead or are you behind? Or are you, all these things that we talk about in school, they don't transfer to the real world. So we're building those habits and that mindset for those young people for multiple years 
And then they get out to the real world that doesn't reward that. Right. And then they go, shoot, what do I do? I had my son start kindergarten in during the pandemic. And so I had the fortunate, I guess, benefit of having my son go to the public school system because it's literally right down the street. They have the good yeah. scoring systems. Sure. And I would wake up with him because he didn't know how to use the computer, but we would have to do everything online. And I saw some of the songs they would sing or some of the lessons. And it was don't speak out of turn. Everyone has to follow this sort of thing where you basically are no longer an individual. And I, because I'm in a wellness space where we question the, I guess the conventional care of what we should be eating in a day and things like that, that bothered me because I saw how everyone had to be in tow and in line. And I get it. If you have 30 students in your class, how do you keep everything out of chaos? It's having this, I guess, planned order and but it then diminishes who is, I guess, excelling or, you know, doing different things. And so when someone would be out of line, that person would be called out on in front of everybody else. And then you learn, I can't do that. I have to raise my hand. And it was literally one week. And I'm like, I'm out. This is not how I want my kids to be raised. And then you start seeing these patterns, even in adults. Um, I see people in their 30s, maybe they go somewhere and they're asked a question and then they look back at their parents and they're like, am I, can I do that? And that's, it's disturbing. So it is disturbing. I have had, I have had people call me and go, Hey, you know, I saw that you're launching um, another campus, you know, and and I've heard about your other campuses and they're doing really well. I saw that you're launching another one. I'm really interested in finding out, you know, are you hiring anybody? And I could tell by the voice on the phone, I said, okay, well, what, you know, what, what, what's your background or how, but I could tell it was an older, a little bit of an older person, which I'm not opposed to, but I could just tell. And as I started questioning and listening to the responses, I'm going, you know, may I ask, are you calling about a position for yourself? Oh, no, no, no. I'm calling actually for my son. Okay. That's great. How, how old is your son? Oh, he's 32. And why are you, can I ask why you're calling? I ah, just, he gets a little still kind of nervous on the phone. And I just told him I would call and do this for him. Holy moly. I said, you know, that this, you you clearly don't know what our schools are about. Um, so you're right. And we see that over and over again. And when I talk about the fact that I got to work with all these, these great organizations, you know, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Microsoft, American Eagle, um, U.S. Air Force, Lockheed Martin, uh, National Security Center, like these were all clients of mine. And the reason I was being brought in is exactly what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. They were hiring 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds, 24-year-olds. They're going, hey, they're out of Harvard, Stanford, MIT. They're really, 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 really smart. We want to fire all of them. There's no resilience. They don't understand how to communicate. They don't understand how their position plays into the larger scheme of of what we're doing. There's no self-direction. They're looking for a specific rubric. They're playing school and they're not happy about it. They're trained to be the apathetic bystander while somebody else writes the story of their life right. and puts them in a in a supporting role, not even the starring role. Never mind being able to write the story themselves, you know, and so it's a big cultural issue. Yeah. I mean, so I went to UC Berkeley and some of my most I guess, successful peers at that school then went on to Harvard Business School and other things. And I saw this this thing that was happening where a lot of the iBanking companies, they would pick the best and the brightest, Mm -hmm. and then they would train them for weeks to do 
basically monkey work where they were being taught to do. And so they actually didn't want their people to think outside the box and they wanted them to be these really brilliant people that did the same thing over and over. And it was not a surprise where people would get burnout after a while. And that's why the investment banking life cycle is very, very short. And I found all of that so fascinating, even though I was going through it myself. And while I was a consultant and very successful, I think I was the most depressed in my life. And I think it's because I was doing work that people acclaimed was so noble or so um, successful, but I hated the work I was doing. The yeah. The lifestyle was great, but I hated the work and I couldn't marry what was wrong with my life. And all I just instead turned to coping with food and food sure. was my drug and escaping that way to medicate the life that I hated living. That's right. And, and how many of those people, you know, how many, I always tell the story of being, you know, as I was traveling and speaking, I was on a private jet that was owned by a man who, whose family owned a number of banks in the Midwest and community banks. And I was on the jet with him, his jet, not my jet, his jet, right? Speaking for his company. And he's crying while we're on the plane because this is just the life that was laid out before him. It has nothing to do with who he was, where he wanted to go, what he wanted to do. He just followed the path that was laid out and he was miserable. And the the juxtaposition that was immediately in my face was we landed. He went into the bathroom to go clean up. And I talked to this young pilot, uh, not young pilot, young mechanic who was working at the uh, at the airfield. And he was telling me how excited he was because one, he loved his job as a mechanic, but two, he was also about to retire because he'd never done anything else. He knew he'd always wanted to be a mechanic. He had done it straight out of high school. He was about to retire and he was 40, right? And you got this 50 some odd year old and you know the, the, the bank exec who's miserable. Right. And like, that's what we should be after. That's where the acclaim is. That's what, those are the credentials we need or how happy are we? Do we have a peace of mind? Are we going after, you know, who we have been designed to be and school's not going to show us that people can say, well, I, you know, went to school and I turned out fine. Well, maybe you did fine in spite of not because of, and also fine sucks. I don't want fine. I don't want to live a fine life. If I ask, Hey, Judy, how's your relationship with your husband? You're like, Oh, it's fine. I know exactly what that means, right? If you ask, hey, Matt, how's your relationship with your kids? And I'm like, ah, it's fine. Nobody wants fine. I don't want fine for me. I don't want fine for my wife. I don't want fine for my kids. Um, I want thriving. You know, I want want excited. I want peace of mind. I want all of those things. And most parents, that's what they want too. So you've taught at Stanford and these other, all the conveyor belt type of schools. How now then are you teaching at Acton and how do you teach kids now to be different? Yeah, the biggest shift is, I mean, there's a bunch of big shifts. You know, people that have never heard of Acton go, what's the elevator pitch? Give me 30 seconds. I'm like, if you've only got 30 seconds, I probably can't do it Um, because it's a microcosm of life. And, And that's really what we're developing. So the big differences are, you know, conveyor belt schooling all the way up to university says we're going to do something to you. And and we say, no, we're going to set up the environment around you, right? If you're talking about like a garden, conveyor belt school says, all right, flower, you're going to do this and you're going to do this and you're going to do this and you flower, you're going to do this and you're going to do this. And we're like, no, how about this? How about we make sure the soil is getting enough water? We make sure enough sun's coming in. We make sure you're in the right position. We make sure the environment's right because then the flower is going to do what it does naturally. It's going to grow and it's going to grow to the best of its abilities. So we're doing the same thing. So we're setting up an environment. That environment requires 
ownership and it requires urgency. It requires responsibility. It requires them to be curious and to ask really good questions. Whereas schooling is more about there's one right answer and you just regurgitate that answer. And there's no, you know, it's no secret why people don't always tell people I got straight A's all through school, all through school. I never got anything less than an A, including in college. And it's not because I'm crazy smart because I understood how to play the game of school. But I went back and did a standardized test not too long ago and took a standardized math test and I got a sixth grade math level. I get paid 25 grand to go stand on a stage for an hour to talk to a company. I run multiple businesses. I'm not dumb. I'm proficient in things with numbers, but I don't do school math, right? And so we were, again, the antithesis of that conveyor belt model, that curiosity, those questions, having conversations, understanding why you believe what you believe, um, being willing to listen to somebody else's point of view, being, being able to change your mind. All of those things are what we facilitate. I feel that in the public or the conveyor belt system, um, a lot of the autonomy and critical thinking is lost, right? You, mm -hmm. We have to raise our hands to even think. And after a certain point, if you question your teacher enough, you will yeah. get reprimanded in front of everyone of just do the homework or just do what we're saying. Stop asking questions. So yes. questions aren't even really supported. What are your thoughts with that? And then how in this new model or this, I guess, better model, in my opinion, um, how right. do you facilitate that? Hey guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about critical thinking, right? The critical thinking, when you really narrow down in the definition of what that is, it's exactly what we talked about. It's the curiosity. It's asking questions. It's analyzing your own thoughts. It's analyzing your beliefs and then going forward and having an experience with those presuppositions and then testing to see, did that match? It's really, it's truly the scientific method, right? right? I mean, that's really what we're talking about. And parents, well, what about science? You know, and that's really what you want. You want the scientific method. You want that curiosity of I'm going to test it and I'm going to see if I can prove it again, you know? And so for our young heroes, we're, we're fueling that curiosity and, and the need to ask questions by um, one, giving them the rules of engagement of a good conversation. What does that look like? And so what we found with our, our young heroes is if we give them a map that says, and we help that we actually have them help us create that so that they've got ownership on that, but it's a map of what does a good conversation itself look like? Well, I don't interrupt. I show up on time. I, I say things that are factual and I'm willing to fact check those. I keep emotion, you know, at bay. Um, I try to speak succinctly and precisely. I stop and genuinely listen to somebody else's point of view. And I don't repeat things. You know, we give them that map. Well, when they do that, conversations themselves become so robust and so, and they can talk about anything. And then the guide is there to come from that Socratic method of just probing a little more. And at the very basic sense of what a Socratic conversation is, it's just doubling down on the why a lot of times, right? It's like, okay, well, why? And what, and clarify, what do you mean by that? So when the guide says that the young hero has said something, 
maybe they said something they heard or mom and dad have said, but then they've got to go a little deeper and go, okay, why? Why do I say that? Why do I believe that? And when they start doing that, they start going, hmm, okay, do I actually believe it? Or am I repeating something, right? Or the guide will say, okay, well, now I'm going to ask you to make a choice, but you're going to have to choose between A and B. And these things are diametrically opposed and you can't choose the middle ground. Choose one of those. Then again, you're forced to think, ooh, okay, my answer, my heart tells me it's right there in the middle, but I'm being forced to choose. So if I've really got to analyze both sides, I I think I'll choose this side. Here's why all of those things, right? Force critical thought. And then you're put in a situation after all those conversations to go collaborate around solving a problem with other human beings who are going to come at it from a different perspective. But you've got to figure out a way to work together and create something, solve a problem, and then show the world, you know, aka your parents or the community in an exhibition. Like that's nonstop critical thinking. Imagine if we all lived our lives that way. Yeah, I want to share an uh, example with the audience. So our our children go to an acting school. I'm not going to name the specific school, but one of the things they, there are consequences for certain things. And one of the questions I remember the parents asked at the very beginning was, so what happens if we're tardy to the class? And the guy told us it depends on what the, the, the class, what these heroes vote for. And so they determine what is a fair or what do they think is a reasonable consequence for being tardy. And so the class that uh, my son was part of decided that if you are late, you can't participate in a certain thing in the, the beginning of the day. And the other class was that you can't join into, I guess, the circle time or something like that. So yeah. it, it was very interesting of, okay, so these people, just like we would do in a, uh, like in a work setting where we have a meeting and instead of being dictated what we need to do, we come up with the best decision that the group has created based on this, a lot of this critical right. thinking, what makes sense. And I see the benefits already with my son when my husband and I will be talking and he'll tell us, I agree with mom because, and uh-huh. he'll say these things rather than, okay, so mom said this and that's why it goes. And there's that second layer of, I understand and I am processing what they're saying and where do I stand in all of that? And I never had that growing up because whatever my parents said and the school said was what I needed to do. Correct. That's exactly right. And that's, you know, again, it's that training of, and and you see the disconnect as a young person, even if you don't necessarily know it, even if you don't speak out, even if it's not necessarily conscious, I remember seeing the disconnect where my dad would say, do this. And I'm like, gosh, but I know he doesn't do it. Right. And so I see that he doesn't do that. And so then there's, you know, an inherent, like an underbelly of a lack of trust, right. Or, or that's developed there. And there's like, I'm looking at the hypocrisy and, you know, you get the, uh, I was never the person to say it, but you have people in the class that, why do, when are we ever going to use this? And I'm going, I think he's right. Like, when am I ever going to use this? And the teacher's like, you're going to use it on the test or you're going to use like, cool. That's the reason like we're going to do this. I'm going to just regurgitate whatever I need to. And I'm going to forget all of this. So am I actually spending my time learning or am I playing some sort of game? You know? And so most students are brilliant people. They get that. They get it very quickly and they just decide how they're going to play the game, if they're going to play the game or why. But again, that habit of playing the game and bowing to authority and just looking to somebody to tell you what to do next, that becomes ingrained. And that's such a problem. Right. And it 
as you were talking about, that just makes me think about how a lot of the schools, they get funding based on the star test results at the end of the yes, semester. Ma'am. And right. that's how we're deciding if a kid is good or not is based right. on their scores. And then ba- that will provide our funding rather than are we truly allowing our children to thrive in the areas they want to focus in. I wanted to shift a little bit and ask you about um, free play. So I know you're a big fan of that. Why is that so important? Why does free play even matter? Yeah, it's, I mean, the social emotional development that comes through free play for young people is something that is unmatched by anything else. And by free play, I mean, free play. They're allowed, they are able to go out, they can interact with the world around them. They can interact with other young heroes. They can have all these interactions. It's where they learn, you know, those social emotional skills, where they learn conversation skills and persuasion skills and how to build relationships, how to mend relationships, how to navigate risk, which is a huge part that, you know, we're bubble wrapping everything. They learn how to navigate risk. And it's something that is precisely transferable over to all areas of life, not just from a physical standpoint, but from an entrepreneurial standpoint, right? A relationship standpoint, like what are, what are good risks to take? What is that risk reward um, relationship or ratio, you know, look like Um, they learn to self-direct. They're able to be you know, curious about the world around them to have that sense of wonder and then go, what do I want to do next? Where do I want to go? What am I curious about? And how can I create a scenario for myself that will allow me to explore that? Um, Those are all wildly valuable skills that are ingrained at a young age and free play does it faster and better than anything else. My boys would go out in the the front of our house and my my husband would get worried because he's part of one of those neighborhood apps that tell all every single crime that that happens and what's funny though is most people think the world is such a dangerous place now but it's actually a lot safer than it used to be it's just we don't get inundated with all the news and so I, i agree with that when they go out they have to have discernment and and we'll we'll definitely send set guardrails and boundaries but it's giving them the ability to be independent, make those questions. So we say, don't cross the street, especially during busier hours. And that's mm-hmm. how we have to trust our children too, because otherwise I'm going to be that parent that calls for my son when he's 30, right. trying to get him a job. And I, I don't want that. I, I always try to have the foundation of being a parent as, am I setting up my child so that when I die, I know he will be thriving without me. Right. And that's, Perfect. Perfect. Right. That's what we're supposed to do. Right. A good educator is going to do the same thing. Go, how do I get myself to be irrelevant? Because that person is now going to self-educate. A good parent goes, how do I get myself to be irrelevant? Not that you don't want the relationship. Of course you do. But you want a fully competent, happy, peaceful, resilient, productive individual that then wants a voluntary relationship with you because you have raised them in a way to do that. Right. A good um, a good doctor makes it so that eventually, you know, you don't necessarily need them because you understand health and wellness to a degree that you're going to be able to figure it out and go right. Like that's what we're doing. I'm trying to make myself irrelevant to my kids, not in a forget about me way, 
in a you don't need me, but you want to have the relationship with me way. That's beautiful. I love that you're doing that. And so in terms of if if somebody's listening or watching that has children in the conveyor belt system or that they've grown up in that, which is totally what I went through and I yeah. had to go through my own struggles. How do you start facilitating independence in curiosity, whether it's for me as an adult now and trying to think outside that box or yeah. for my children that are kind of in that system Maybe I don't have the funds to get them into an acting program, but how do I start facilitating and nurturing that side of curiosity? Yeah, and independence? That's a, it's a really good question. You know, one of my um, one of the the very few people that I look up to that I consider a mentor who also happens to be a giant fan of Acton Academy is a man by the name of Seth Godin. And if people haven't read Seth's books or, or seen, you know, his, his famous blog or whatever it is, I highly recommend um, highly recommend him. And he talks about how, you know, he's very pro Acton Academy. He talks about how his kids went through a conveyor belt school. And he said, so what we did, he said, that was where they went to focus on, you know, hey, can I get some relationships? Can I treat some other people, you know, really, really well? What are the bits and pieces that I want to pull out and be intentional about? And then their education happened when they were at home. That's the way he always framed it. And the education, you know, again, the drawing out, if parents have to send their young heroes to a conveyor belt school, you've got to be willing to, when they get home, okay, well, what do we want our real education to look like? I need to be leading by example. Do I want readers? Well, then when they get home, they need to see me reading and I need to read with them and dive into the classics with them and have these great conversations with them that draw out, you know, the parallels between all of these heroes and protagonists in great literature versus how we're, you know, what are the parallels between our daily lives now? Like I need to have those conversations. I need to provide experiences. I need to provide um, opportunities for responsibility, right? Where they've got responsibility and chores and, and I need to provide opportunities for free play. And I need to provide those opportunities as the parent because I can't trust that they're getting all of that, you know, in, in that school. And the, the hardest part for most parents, I think, in starting that is first understanding how damaged might not be the word, but it's the word I'm going to use. Intellectually damaged you were by the, the habits that were built in conveyor school. I tell people it's like it really is. It's like trying to leave a religion that you grew up with, mm-hmm. uh, right? Or trying to leave an abu- a long-term abusive relationship. You first have to... Uh, understand that you're in that battle of having to leave that until you understand that you're having to pull out of that. You don't understand that you're in that religion. You don't understand that your that your relationship is abusive and you've got, you know, that Stockholm syndrome where you love your abuser, you know, and that's what conveyor belt school really, really um, kind of is. So you've got to start to educate yourself around the why. And for some people that is reading things like John Taylor Gatto and looking at the holes of the system itself before they go, Oh, okay. Or some people, it is turning towards something that resonates more outside. Like, you know, when they see like an Acton Academy and go, oh my gosh, why does that resonate with me so much more than conveyor belt school does? Either way you come out of it, um, I think you have to recognize that problem and go towards whatever is helping get you out. Yeah, I agree. And I think for the older people that don't have children, maybe, or their children are already older, I think Mm -hmm. the struggle comes when they feel one way and then they're working for an company that does differently. Right. And so there's that issue of, well, like in the last couple of years, we had to get a required jab of something where Uh some company, some people didn't want to get it. 
So right. there was that dichotomy of, well, what do I do? Um, yeah. And and it and it's a difficult situation, especially if financials yeah. are involved. And I agree with you. I think it's starting to this life is short. You want to live it in a way that you are happier or striving for things that make you fulfilled. And if that job, even if it's paying the bills, maybe there's a temporary period where you're not affording certain things, but you have to find something that you're happier with. And it's that example you talked about with the mechanic versus that very wealthy person. Yes, very and, much. So. And in terms of, you know, one thing that I struggle with myself as an acting parent is there's that level of freedom you give your children with the guardrails, but then there's also the fear of the Lord of the Rings where they're overly given too much freedom and autonomy. And how do you find that balance of being the guide in their life uh, versus letting them have complete chaos in their life? Yeah, it's a really good question. So the assum- the underlying assumptions, the reason we have problems letting go as parents with that. And I say we because I came, again, I came out of all the systems. So even the um, intellectual understanding that I had of what was better, I still had the emotional religious attachment that I had to even let go to, right? Even launching them. I had to like, okay, just remind myself, right? And so these are the conversations Acton owners have all the time too. Um, So the underlying issue is that our assumptions are, look, there's those boxes to be checked and they've got to be checked at a certain time, right? And so the only way that's going to happen is if we get order and we get order quickly and an adult makes sure those boxes are being checked and the adult makes sure that structure gets put in place and the adult... None of those are true. The reality is if we offer them the ability to take time to let things devolve and get chaotic, they will start to not really dig that as well. And then we can start to add in like, hey, look, there's, you know, there's a lot of um, talk in academia about, you know, intrinsic, extrinsic, you know, rewards kind of deal, right? And the fact that oh, you only want intrinsically driven and Alfie Cohn is one big one. And I like a lot of what Alfie says, but a lot of it he's, um, he's off and it's partially because he doesn't actually work with kids. So he talks about intrinsic is all that matters. Extrinsic motivation should never be used. That's a lie. We all, we work for money and sometimes we'll do things for extra, you know, we'll do things to impress the girl or we'll do things like extrinsic sometimes can, can take shape. So the guide's job in those areas are like, okay, what are the, again, what are the systems? What are the offers? What can we put out there? And what you'll find is that it might take a little bit, but the young heroes will put together those guardrails. They will remember they're working based on, um, on promises and contracts, right? Where their values and your agreed upon values start to become solidified for them. And then they go, okay, well, now I've just created our declaration of independence, right? I've just created our, our, so now we have this and this thing is gold. And once they have that, and now they have a tangible thing to go back to, all of a sudden, what we have seen is it's gone from maybe starting at Lord of the Flies far over to the other side where it's almost sometimes where it's like, hey guys, relax on each other. Like it's okay sometimes, you know, you don't have to be so strict on the boundaries and so... Right. And so, but they get to experience that full spectrum. Um, And then over time, they come to a really, really good, productive, responsible, value driven part. And then, oh, by the way, all those boxes that need to be checked, you realize there's very few, they don't take very long, and everything else you can focus on actually matters. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. In terms of being in the moment and um mm. You know, one thing I found really interesting was the main campus on in Austin, we interviewed with the head person there and he asked a couple questions. He said, you know, what is the true motive of sending your kids to school? Mm. And it was something that we never thought about. And he said things like some people honestly think it's like a glorified daycare, right? So you can get work done. And so you're almost giving your kids off so that they can learn, they can build character and then you can work. And then at night, maybe you only need to spend one or two hours with them. And then you just kind of kids are taught at school. And that made us really think about how much are we putting in the effort for our children? Mm. But I I think about also that's really comes into play with being in the moment. So is it just we're trying to get our kids to bed so that we can then do our have our own life or our own time right there is that uh, we want our own time without our children. Yeah. But how important is that being in the moment, um, being grateful for what you have today, rather than thinking of, I'm just trying to get through everything I need to do yeah. today. That's another one of those. That's a great question. And it's another one of those um, cultural presuppositions that we, you know, you don't get time to yourself if you have kids or kids need to go and be babysat. And again, we're building these habits around how we're looking at life so that we are always, you know, not living in the moment. We're living in the past and we're anxious and or we're, we're um, depressed and we're sad because of what happened in the past or we're living in the future and we're anxious about all these things because we're imagining all the things that don't, you know, really exist or not even going to necessarily come to fruition. And we miss out on what's going on with the kids right there, but they've just got to check their boxes and go, yeah, if you are in either of those states of the, you know, past or future kind of deal, you are missing out on the moment. And when people talk about balance, you know, this is what I I think of in terms of balance, because the whole work-life balance and the, you know, mm. marriage versus kids and all of the balance is that is that kind of cliche buzzword. For me, balance is peace of mind. And it is the ability to be wildly focused on the future and what I want to do and what I want to build. And I'll be patiently impatient on it. I will work every day towards it. Like I'm ridiculously impatient, but I'm fine if it doesn't happen for five or six years, but I can also do that and look into the future while fully engaging with whatever is in right in front of me right now. And it's got to be my kids anytime they're in front of me, like everything needs to stop and I need to be there. And if you're not going to be able to do that, schedule that in as a parent, right? Like if I know I have a really busy work day today, Fridays are my busiest days by far. I have really busy days. I make sure there's very specific start and stop times for what I do on Fridays. And then those, when it's the stop time, everything else goes away and I'm intentional about my kids. That's it. You know, I think we just, we need to do a better job of that as parents. Yeah. I, one thing that, um, I learned in therapy a long time ago was that people would ask, you know, how do you view yourself? And people would have all these adjectives of I'm a good mother, I'm a good friend. And then they would ask the next question is, what do you spend most of your time doing? Mm. And then there was this separation of, well, everything you do in a day doesn't reflect to what you think you are as a person. And how does that marrying then really define you as that? And so ever since having children, I've always used that because I want to make sure that I can offer things to my children that I didn't grow up having. And so one thing we commit to is at dinner tables, at meal times, we never have phones around. We try to make every dinner together that as a family, we eat no matter how busy we are. And that's the priority. 
And then we catch up as a family. So there's no screens. And sometimes it's, I see all the parents with screens. And even at a very young age, my husband was no with screens. And I'm very thankful for that because I know it's so easy. But my kids now at the age of six and eight, they could wait calmly for the food. Maybe they're coloring, but we'll color with them. But they're not asking for the screens now because they're not used to it ever being a part of us. Good for you guys. And it's so important. So, I mean, I I fully agree. It's, It's easy to think, oh, I just can't wait to put my kids down. But instead, I mean, at the age of eight, I still put my boys down. And I think of it as this is my dedicated time that I commit to my children every night. Sure, it takes away from my work. Sure, it takes away from my alone time. But I know I'll never get this time back. And it's that mind shift of thinking, I'm grateful that my boys still want me to put them down. I know it takes away my time, but we have memories during those times that are invaluable that I know when in just a few years, they're going to be like, mom, I don't want you here. Totally. Yeah. No, no parents thinking about their need for alone time when they're at, you know, what a Disneyland or something, right? They love going to Disneyland. Why? Because they're enjoying the heck out of it, right? So they're not going, oh, I need to be alone right now. They're enjoying being around thousands and thousands of people, right? Because they're enjoying the process. Why are we not enjoying our kids? I I miss, I can physically miss my children when they're in the next room. I enjoy the heck out of them. I I don't need more alone time to wind down. I can wind down hanging out with them because they're my favorite people. You know, like let's build those relationships. Agreed. I want to ask you something controversial. So I know you have this young men's mentorship program, and I really want to get my boys into it when they're at the age, but it's a period where femininity, and I don't even know if that's the right word, but it's just masculinity is a little bit muted. How are you dealing with the controversies of gender and teaching the importance of boys being men in this very controversial time about that? Yeah, we are just very specific about defining um, what we we do believe men and women are equals, but they're different, right? They're equal in terms of their value. They're equal in terms of, you know, what the the fact that they've got uh, so much to bring to the world. We just don't pretend like those are the same things. Men and women we are very vocal saying, look, we think men bring a certain amount of, of uh, act, you know, certain types of characteristics and attributes and, and um, traditionally always have women bring that that complementary. It's equal in terms of the amount that they're offering the world, but they're complementary to each other. They're not the same thing. And we think it's detrimental for, for us to look at things as the same. And we, we're very specific around what we think masculinity is. You know, the, the common buzzwords are toxic masculinity, right? And that's for me, it's a complete oxymoron. Toxicity, male or female, you're you're everybody knows what that is, and you're you know you're probably a miserable person to be around and a, a miserable human. Uh, masculinity is a set of of honorable virtues and values, and and it always has been, classically speaking. And it's more about um, you know service to others and and leading by example and treating other people with respect and manners and loyalty and honor and integrity and you know, it's, it's all of those things. And so that's how we define it. And so that's what we expect in the program. So when somebody says, well, what about anything outside of that? I go, look, I'm not interested in playing, um, you know, pretend I'm just not, we don't, and I don't pretend 
we don't even do Santa. You know, some people get upset with us. We never even did Santa Claus in our house. I just don't lie and I don't pretend. Like I just don't do it. And I've never been a big Disney fan because I just don't pretend. Um, and there's nothing wrong with it. I can get into like a fictional book or a movie and like I can do that. And I'll try to still draw life lessons from that and go, okay, well, how does that apply to the real world? But um, so that's how we approach it. And we're very upfront about it so that, you know, anybody that's wavering on, do I agree with that or not? We're not going to try to convince you, um, but you're not going to want to be a part of that program. Understood. What about the thoughts of, you know, a lot of the culture that's going on now about my truth is the truth, only truth that matters, um, self-care to an extreme that it's whatever I feel or do that day is the answer. And if you don't accept that, then, you know, it's almost very isolating of a culture that's being created, in my opinion. But the irony of all of it is if we are embracing ourselves and loving ourselves of who we are, the concern I have is, well, why is depression and suicide really escalating in the young? And is that really the answer? I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, why if if that is if we are demanding that everybody else give that self that, you know, our our truth and they bend to our, then why are we so upset about what we're claiming that that is? It's it's an entitlement um, mentality. And and I think it's really, really a multifaceted issue. Um, I think some of the parenting trends that we're talking about, where we don't give young heroes the ability to grow up with free play, take on responsibility at a very, very early age. Um, We are allowing for distractions, whether that's um, the screens, whether that's video games, which I think are one of the sneakiest things that we have in our society that knocks things out. The cultural music and the movies, the influence that's coming in there through language, um, the words we're hearing, you know, those things matter. We're medicating the kids early. We're bubble wrapping them so they're not getting sun. Um, We're not keeping them physically active. I think all of those things from a parental standpoint are driving us towards where we've got these depressed and suicidal young people. I think all of that gets fixed if we do the exact reverse of all those things that I talked about. A big part of that is the parenting part. And then school does not help with the structures that you know we already kind of talked about, which again, structurally speaking, the only other institutions in our country that mimic the same sort of structure and segregation and things like that that take place in school Well, prison, prison is the only other structure that we have that mimics that. So I think all of those things are are really pushing to where we've got this disconnected young society um, that are they're sad. They have no purpose. They have no focus. They have no they have no true self-love, which is why they're so loud about talking about self-love. That's so scary. I never thought about school being the exact same. That's the only mimic is prison where you are separated. Rules have to be followed. Right. And so what do you do to get power, right? You go out, you're segregated. So you segregate by race in in prison, segregate by age in school. And so what do you do? Because you don't have a voice because both of these all day, maybe you're made to wear a uniform. You stand in, stand in the lines we tell you to stand in. You go to this room when we tell you to go to this room. You do this when we tell you to do this. You don't have a voice at all, right? Your life is not your own. And so both of those are being mimicked there. Well, what do we do when we get out on the yard or when we get some semblance of freedom? Well, we group up with our our like individuals, however we're going to define that. And then we've got to find another group to battle against and to look down upon, right? And so that's how we're going to get power. That's how we're going to get our voice, right? Because everybody wants 
a voice. Everybody wants a say, especially in their own lives. And so that's a way to impart that. And so that's where you get, you know, bullying at school right. and you get gang wars. Like it's a very similar construct. It's pretty scary. I, yeah, that makes, that makes so much sense. Um, you know, talking about some of the medication. So yeah. I, when I first wa- wanted to get into nutritional therapy, after I did a lot of healing, I really wanted to focus on kids. I noticed the trend of um, ADHD and ADD. And then I read these books that really opened my eyes about, was it really just a drug push? Yeah. I was curious your thoughts. I mean, and now that we understand a lot of this, a lot of boys aren't just meant to sit down in their chair for eight hours a day. And we are almost now it's if you're not going to follow the rules, now we're going to medicate you with methamphetamines. And and then all these kids need to then take a version of that at as they age. And there's a drug dependency correlation with these kids that then become adults. Do you think that that's the wrong approach with these kids that can't seem to stay still? Is it that there's something wired wrong with them? Or is that Maybe they're not supposed to learn that way. What are your thoughts with that? I guarantee they're not supposed to learn that way. They can't learn that way. We're just wanting them to follow orders. We've likely done them a disservice prior to with, you know, whatever health is going on there anyways, whether it's giving them a bunch of garbage food and your, you know, your dyes and all your processed garbage, you're keeping them out of the sun. They're not getting physical activity. They're focused on screens. Every single one of those things pours into, you know, I think the, the neurophysiological issues that we're starting to see with a lot of these young men. And then we're forcing them in this false, you know, social hierarchy of what a school looks like says, you know, sit down, be quiet. And they physically can't, that's not how their bodies work. And so now we're like, okay, well then you must have a speed deficiency that we've got to get you, you know, hooked on these methamphetamines early and often. No, it isn't. That is a full on from the parent side, from the school side, that spectrum that I just described right there, which unfortunately is for all too many young men, that is a full on attack on that young human being. And to add to that, um, I learned recently that for every child that, well, one, it's not that the kid gets to diagnose themselves as I have an issue, but mm-hmm. it's the parent, uh, the teacher then will diagnose it or recommend it to a psychologist. And then so out, without the child's own opinion, they get to dictate whether this person has that illness or not. And then right. secondly, I've learned that for every child that is diagnosed with ADD or ADHD, the school gets more money. That's right. Yep. There's some financial benefit there, right? And then we're all we're doing is we're taking a look at a list of so-called symptoms right. and saying, okay, well, if there is enough of these so-called symptoms, then we can go ahead and diagnose this and create, you know, this, this medical condition. And hey, one of those, you know, uh, symptoms might be just the inability to sit down and be quiet and for a long period of time. Well, guess what? I'm a 42-year-old man. I'm extremely healthy. And if I'm sitting down in a in a room for multiple hours and the person is boring the crap out of me, I don't want to, dude, I'm not going to sit there either. Like I've got better things to do. And for a six-year-old young man who's got the whole world in front of him and has this wonder and curiosity to sit down and have, you know, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so droning on and on. It's like, holy cow, man, I want to get out and go conquer the world. What are we doing here? That's nothing wrong with him. It's quite the opposite. You know, what's interesting now that I'm thinking about is in elementary school, you have the same teacher and they're teaching different lessons, but you're literally staying there. Whereas at least in middle school and high school, you get to move around every 45 minutes. So it's kind of interesting that 
why at the younger age do they not have a lot of that movement because it's so important but you have to you have to break them early that's so scary <laughs> you have to break them early and i promise you i'm not using that word uh half, no i believe half. it i believe you know we we see people come into our our schools and if they come in and they've been schooled in the conveyor belt sense of the word and they're in middle school or they're in high school and they're coming into our schools it almost um it takes a unicorn of a human for it to work out many times because they're already broken and trained and so then to bring them along to you know an element of self-direction is something that is a it's a real struggle man. that makes sense i know that we're all different and um we will all function differently but I'm guessing that there are some guardrails that you see consistent across many humans. For example, I know that one guardrail you recommend is if something's broken, fix it. Mm-hmm. Do you think there are some guardrails or some truths that generally would benefit most people or most kids? Yeah, that's a really, you know, um, we've got when young men come into our Apogee program, uh, we have them sign an Apogee code. uh, And that is kind of our substitute for, you know, not having all of them together and to start like in an act in studio, they create the studio contract, right? And they will come to a universal um, agreement on characteristics and values and and behaviors that they want to see there. Apogee code for us is the same thing. You know, it's, we talk about integrity and bravery and compassion and politeness and honesty, um, being honorable, being loyal, right? It's all of these kind of old like Bushido um, sort of principles that we're asking them to sign on to. And I think, you know, anytime you ask a, a group of people that haven't had, you know, some sort of twisted upbringing, they're going to come to some semblance of a an agreement that have those similar characteristics and those similar words. And they may have, you know, if they're five, it may sound a little, you know, be really nice or, you know, whatever that is, right? They're going to have, it's it's going to sound different. The words might not be as as eloquent or as elevated, but the concepts are the same. And I I really encourage families to take a look at that too. Our family has our own contract, right? Our own 11 rules that we have up in our house. And that's something that those are the values we've come to and said, look, this is who we are. This is who we want to be in the world. And we love each other. So I'm responsible for holding myself to these promises, but I'm also responsible for holding you to those promises. And oh, by the way, you're responsible for holding yourself and me. You can tell dad, hey, dad, I think you're maybe violating rule number six right here. What do you think? And I have to go, yeah, I got to take an honest look and see, you know, and I think everybody would do well to to just get back to that because I think we all understand it. We just kind of gloss over it without really analyzing, okay, what does that mean? And how does that actually play out in my life? What are some of the promises that you have in your family, if you don't mind me asking? Oh my gosh, I don't, <laughs> I, don't mind, I don't mind at all. And I'm actually, I'll bring up, um, I'll bring up the, uh, the entire 11 right here and read them off to you. So number one for us is be honest. um, And that's starting with yourself. And so again, we don't lie. We don't lie to each other. um, And we don't want to lie to ourselves. So we want to have that self-reflection. Number two is be a copycat. And what that means for us is to follow the patterns of success. Uh, If there's somebody doing something you want to do or being something that you want to be, they've left breadcrumbs. There's a trail. How do you follow that? How do you copy that? Be an emotional ninja is number three for us, which is um, look, understanding that emotions are a good thing and they're valuable, but we don't want to be controlled by those. So the more cliche way to say it would be kind of control the controllables, right? What do you have control over and how can you impart change there? And then accepting the things that you're not going to be able to change and not letting your emotions drag you down because of that. Being the heart 
hardest worker in the room. That's self-explanatory, but we really have conversations in our house about um, it's really more of comparing your effort to your own effort more than anybody else. Same thing with uh, the next part, which is uh, be the nicest person in the room. No complaining, fix it. Think because most people won't. Discipline equals freedom. Uh, memento mori, which is kind of like, you know, understanding it's not a fascination with death. It's a fascination with life, understanding that it does end. So let's be intentional about what each day looks like. Uh, You are personally responsible and doing the right thing is always the right thing. I love it. I love it. In our first year, we made a contract, but it's a lot less, I guess, powerful than that. I I definitely want to redo that this coming school year. So that's thank you you for sharing. Heck yeah. Um, In terms of fear. So obviously with COVID, there was a lot of fear of, hey, if I go outside, if I see my neighbor, I'm going to get this invisible illness that we don't know how, you know, it, we get it, but we'll get sick. And so fear became so controlling more than ever before that I've seen in my lifetime. Totally. And fear is prevalent everywhere. Do you, have you seen with your students or with neighborhood kids of fear being then brought down to the children and the parents and kids and the ramifications of that? Yeah, I think you see, you know, um, it is it is wildly prevalent. I see it more in the parents, but there is no way that that doesn't go, you know, uh, trickle down into right. the young heroes. And you, you see it more play out for them without being able to express it. You see them more sad or withdrawn or um, get angry quicker, or you'll see those kind of things draw because that's how they're expressing the fear. You definitely see it more from the parents and the parents are worried about everything, anything and everything under the sun. And again, I don't fully blame them because that's what we're told to be too. And the culture and the media and all of that tells us, be afraid, be afraid, divide yourselves, divide, find the enemy, stay away from the enemy, yell at the enemy, um, be, you know, be, there's, and then there's a new enemy as a boogeyman over here. You can't do anything about that boogeyman. So just trust us to take care of you, be afraid of that, you know, so that is what is perpetuated. I re- I do worry about where that's going to go for the, for the culture at large. If we're not intentionally, it's kind of funny to use that, that almost quote unquote, the media's own language. But if you're not intentionally anti-fear, you know, you can get sucked into to being afraid about freaking everything right now. I, I see it a little bit. So I made a concerted effort after week two. So I was scared too the first two weeks. And then after a while, I just thought, you know what? I need to live my life. I have my own faith. And I believe that whatever happens, happens. And I don't want to die living in fear. That's and right. so I we chose after I think about two weeks, so back in March of 2020, that we are not going to expose my children to all the fear that's going on. So we, you know, we went against a lot of the things that people would probably get upset with us, but we still chose to eat outside at dinner. We just ate outside, like literally in the parking lot, but we brought our kid chairs and it was, it was fine. And we, we would joke and say, um, a Friday night dinner is in quarantine and we were literally outside and made a makeshift dinner for us. And it was yeah. fun. And, and now we have positive memories, but once we came out of a lot of that and my kids would then see other kids and embrace them, I would see the shock in the kids of yeah. what are you doing? Why are you touching <sighs> me? And so I had to teach my kids a little of your, I understand you guys are very affectionate, but not everyone is. And I didn't want to say it's because of the pandemic, but just understand that people have different levels of wanting touch and you have to respect their boundaries. And I left it at that, but I see it more and more of certain kids are a lot more quiet than I remembered our neighborhood children being less quiet before that. And, and I, I talked to a psychologist and I asked him, well, you know, it seems like a lot of kids are going to get affected by this, even finding their future made of 
well, I don't know if you can give me an illness. Do I have to be more distrusting of you than I would have ever been prior to all of this? And the psychologist said, well, everyone's going to be messed up together. So it's like this balanced level of being messed up. So it's going to be okay. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's, it's, it's horrifying, you know? And so I look at that and I have that understanding and I don't know how that's going to play out from a, right. you know, a collective standpoint. So I've got a, you know, understanding that that's there. It's, it's the concept of, I don't know what the world will be like for my kids. And so I'm not going to, to focus my energy on yes. making the better world for my kids, right? It's the make better kids for the world kind of deal. So I'm going to turn that and focus it in inside our house to make sure that they're prepared for whatever, that they have an understanding, that they have, um, you know, that emotional um, IQ to be able to look at a situation and go, okay, well, I feel comfortable on this, but this person doesn't, there may be a number of reasons why, again, I'm not going to be impacted by that. And, and I'm going to move on and go forward. You know, I got to make sure my kids are ready for that uh, first and foremost. That's scary. Yeah. I love that. And the same with us. Uh, we're just, I- I'm hoping to raise boys that will be good salt, good leaders. And, and then when the rest of the world does something that they will have learned resiliency and autonomy and critical thinking to know what to do in that moment. And that's all I can expect from them. That's right. But this, you know, comes to the question of some people will be learning and listening and watching this and then thinking, well, my kids are in these conveyor belt systems. How do I transition out of that? Do I homeschool? And it seems a bit overwhelming where would you even start to consider here's some incremental changes that you can make yeah. to then improve the situation? Yeah. I, I, I like specific resources that give you as much understanding as to, as, as to what your options actually are, right? There's you, it's a, if you understand that there's public school, there's private school, there's charter schools and there's homeschool. But you have got a skewed opinion of what all of those are based on your own experience, right? You need to pique your own curiosity and go, what is each one of those? Like, what do they actually mean? What is the reality behind that? So I always tell parents, you know, dive into all of that. Go read again, John Taylor Gatto, so you can understand the conveyor belt school system and what that looks like. Go read John Holt. Go read uh, Ivan Illich. Go read Seth Godin's Stop Stealing Dreams. Go read Courage to Grow by Laura Sandifer. Go read all of those things and get yourself a deeper understanding and a perspective so that you can then actually make a decision that makes sense for your family, right? So you actually are coming from a place of of knowledge and awareness and not a presupposition or, or your conditioning, your upbringing. Go dive into all of those first, right? It's the same thing as somebody's like, well, hey, how do I find God? You know, how do I find religion? Uh, is it this religion, this religion, this religion, this religion, this, oh my gosh, there's so many. Dive into all of it question all of it. And if something doesn't start to hold up to scrutiny, then you can move on to something else, but check it all out and question it so that you know what you know, you know what you don't know, you know why you believe what you believe, right? This is no different. So I would check all those out, but go to, you know, solid resources like those. I like, I love that. And I think, you know, I really believe in keystone habits where you have one major habit that then bleeds into everything else. And that's where I really love nutrition, because if you fuel your body with the right foods, you won't have brain fog, you won't be tired, you won't have the food dyes in your system that may make you act a little bit more wild. And then once you have less noise from the food, then you can start wondering, well, I don't really like the school system or what my kids are bringing back home, or I don't like my job. And you have to finally start facing the noise of real life. And while that seems scary, 
it actually is the path to finding true freedom and living a fulfilling life. So I, I love that. And I think that's why I focus on nutrition, because once you feel the body properly, then you can start focusing and it'll naturally bleed into all these areas of is the education system, right? In that education system, when they're feeding my children foods that I would never recommend, is that okay with me? And mm-hmm. it makes you start questioning things. And, mm-hmm. I, and I love, love that. And I appreciate so much for you coming on and, you know, sharing more about education. And it's more than just our schooling, but it's really even how we are. Are we just accepting life as it comes at us? And we're just following our boss and leading be, or following what our boss says and not having any say in what we feel. And we just vent to our husbands or wives, and then we move on with our life. I mean, I want more for our, my community. And I thought you were a perfect person to talk about this. That's so- awesome. So grateful for that. Yeah, I know. I mean, what you're talking about is sovereignty, right? And that's the ultimate yes. goal that we want is that sovereignty and that true freedom. And you don't have that if even if you have physical sovereignty, physical freedom or financial freedom, right? If you don't have that mental, emotional, you know, spiritual, physical freedoms, if you don't have all of those aligned, well, then you're still not truly free, right? You're still not truly sovereign unless all of those freedoms are are in place. And we've got to be intentional about each one of those. So I appreciate you bringing that message out. Yes. Well, thank you for joining me again. Where can people find the schools that you've created and um, and then the the um, the Apogee program for young men? Yeah, thank you. So yeah, check out, you know, all of our schools nation or uh, gl- globally is the, the Acton Academy. So actonacademy.org. Um, highly recommend people going there and seeing if there's anything in, in your general vicinity. Um, and then Apogee Strong is our mentorship program, A-P-O-G-E-E strong.com. Um, they can see what we're doing there. And then I'm pretty active on um, on Instagram at, at my name uh, more than anything, but you can email me directly to matt at apogeestrong.com and I'm glad to help in any way. Okay. And I will put all of the information in the show notes. Thank you so much. This is different than what I normally share, but I think it's so important in holistic health wellness. I mean, we are trying to improve our lives with nutrition, but there are so many other things. It's not just the diet that will make someone's life better. I really firmly believe that the way, you know, we have to be honest and um, honor ourselves and our needs and, and in a way that's not this woo woo or foo foo stuff. It's really sure. getting to the core of what really drives us as people to then better the world and be good salt in this world. So thank you so much for joining me today. So good. Thank you, my friend. Before we finish this episode, I just wanted to do a quick interruption and share that if you enjoyed a lot of the discussion that Matt Boudreaux and I had, if a lot of what we talked about resonated with you, then there is a special program that Matt has created with his team. My kids go to an Acton Academy and they go on most days. And so they get to learn a lot of the hero's journey and they learn about self-sufficiency, independence, Socratic thinking, and asking a lot of questions and becoming resilient. The thing is, not everyone is close to an Acton, nor can they afford it. I mean, our I've said this many times now, but the truth is our Acton Academy is more expensive than our home mortgage. So I understand it's very expensive and it's something that we have prioritized for both of my boys. But with that said, Matt has a program that is basically encompassing all of the Acton values. Matt runs a course which is called the Educating Modern Day Heroes. And this course gives you access to all the things to allow your children or your loved ones to have that hero's journey. You also get free lifetime membership. So for the rest of your life, 
you get access to webinars of other like-minded parents and educators that are even part of the Acton Academies. If you don't have a lot of resources or you're not near an Acton or you're a homeschooling parent already and you want to incorporate some of this, the discussions we've brought up in this conversation, you may want to check this out. Matt and I both believe that we should really get children outside of the conveyor belt school system. And so we are offering a $100 discount, or actually Matt is offering a $100 discount for the Nutrition with Judy community. So if you use the code NWJ, and I'll put the link in the show notes, then you'll get $100 off the full course. I took a look at the course and it looks pretty good. And the webinars, the community that you get weekly access Q&As is truly invaluable. There are ways to teach our kids to be outside of the public school system, even if we don't have all the financial and time resources. Okay, let's get back to the show. Okay, guys, I hope that this conversation with Matt Boudreaux was so powerful. I learned so much through him. I definitely am going to make new contracts for my own family with guardrails that will keep each of us accountable and then also accountable to one another. I want my boys to become great leaders and great men that do the things that they want to do in this life and not feel bound by certain restrictions and live in a place that will allow them to thrive. I don't know what's in the future for our economies and our world, but what I do know is that I want to raise my boys to be resilient that whatever does come their way, that they have the ability to think on their own, be resilient and figure out a way that they can get out of it or be successful through it all. And that is the hope that I have for our community as well. We may be taught in a way that we have to raise our hands and trust authority. And I still have that in me a lot, but I try to challenge some of the things that I believe without question when I don't even know where the foundation of that thought is from. And I try to raise my boys, even though some days it's difficult with all the questions, with a critical thinking mindset. So that they, when I pass one day, or that they have to live in the real world without us being around as much, that they can thrive and find the happiness that they are seeking in this world. I hope that this conversation gives you another area of thinking and what it really means to live and thrive in this world. Okay, guys, you know the drill. Make sure to eat a lot of meat. Take care of your bodies and your minds because it's the only place you have to live. I will talk to you later. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.